0: It's Monday, December 5th, live from New York, it's Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me at Shake Shack on 86th Street between Lexington Avenue and 3rd Avenue, for, also from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey. Thanks listen, for making this the trip. Was a, this is a no-brainer, as they say, right? Let me paint the picture here. We are, we are in a Shake Shack. <laughs> We're in a booth. You meet Dan Boyd, and uh, it's a Monday- where we were saying right before taping it's a good thing we're here on a monday because there is enough traffic even though this is a residential neighborhood there is enough traffic in this shake shack that makes me think if we were here almost any other day of the week there's no way in the world we're getting a both
1: oh no i can't even i mean we had people uh people already gunning gunning for that for that table that we're sitting at there are you using those chairs no feel free join join in i mean it's kind of a community table
0: where we're sitting there and we have uh, a few other Few other folks and
1: a few very thoughtful listeners who yes. decided to come by and say hi.
0: Thank you to John and Chris and Jason for for coming out uh, to join us here today. We're we're going to talk about a little bit of news that that came out earlier today, but we should let's start let's start with where we are, man. Let's start with Shake Shack. <laughs> let's do. Um, this is a stock that has gotten as high as ninety since it went public. It's now trading in the thirties, and there are people. Who's look at this stock and say even falling from ninety to mid thirties, this this still looks like an expensive stock. Um, we'll get to sort of what we think of the food and and the opportunity and that sort of thing. But do you think it's expensive right where it is right now?
1: I I do. I mean I think we talked about this before on on Molly Full Money on Market Fulleray. I, mean, I think that's always been the concern with Shake Shack at least. Um, when you look at sort of a comparable there, and you think about sort of how the market values the stock versus how many stores it has, um, it's giving it a a significant uh, premium to something like a Chipotle, which is obviously much more established, far far bigger footprint there. I mean, Chipotle has you know two thousand some odd stores versus Shake Shack's one hundred plus, right? Uh, So I think that any time you have a company like Shake Shack that goes public, there's going to be a lot of interest. This is obviously a business that has done a very good job in branding itself and creating a lot of, of sort of grassroots buzz. I mean, that's really been the success of the business thus far. And so, you know, for me coming into this, it's always been more about is Shake Shack the kind of stock, the kind of business that I'd want to be an owner of? If so, then let's identify a price. I think after our visit here today, I, I would say this is certainly something that piques my interest. Uh, then it's a matter of just really trying to identify the right price. I'm
0: right there with you yeah. in terms of the interest. Because previously, I, I remember when it hit 90 a share and I thought, that's insane. Our <laughs> yeah. colleague Matt Argusinger was sort of running through the numbers like, this is what this means in terms of how much revenue is expected per restaurant, which was you know something like $40 million or something like that, which was just crazy. Um, it it is now sort of moved into watch list area for me because I think that they, to your point, they've done a great job of branding. They've done uh, a good job with sort of presenting, I think, very high quality food, um, but but a simple menu. Yep. So there are not, so you know, the food comes quickly, all those sorts of things. And something that maybe we can talk a little bit about is um, the question of pricing power, which is, yeah. you know, The thing that warren buffett has always said that's the number one thing he wants to see or that he loves to see in a business is do they have pricing power and i i think shake shack well certainly you know based on the the money that we spent for lunch (laughs) it's not cheap but in terms of the you know when you consider the fact that they do sell alcohol at least at this location and and maybe i'm i'm assuming at others and the desserts which are just yeah, we'll, we'll talk about those. Yeah. <laughs> we, that they probably The desserts probably deserve their own show. Um, but I, you I, were saying, oh, after after you had tried these desserts, your first comment was, oh, now I know why Chipotle is going after desserts. Yeah, and, and I, I,
1: I was certainly one of the, when I read that in the, in the most recent Chipotle call, I thought, yeah, because, you know, what I'm thinking about after I eat at Chipotle is that I'm just not quite full enough. <laughs> I need a little bit more. Um, now, to that, to that point, I do think also here at Shake Shack, you know, you, you aren't getting a meal that prob- probably fills you up like a Chipotle meal would. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's that's a bad thing at all. Um, it gives them the opportunity to sell you other things, whether it's coffee, whether it's a dessert, whether it's, you know, a nice glass of wine or a, a beer. I mean, I think it's really neat here. They're partnering with Brooklyn Brewery to offer their own sort of house beer, which, uh, not going to lie, Chris, I gave that a try. And I it's, noticed that. It's a lovely, lovely uh Burger beer is what I would call it, you know. For you IPA out, uh, lovers out there, it's not one of those IPAs that'll, uh, you know, make you pucker right up. But um, I, I, I don't know how far they can go with the pricing on this. One thing is clear, though. You can't build too many restaurants before you start being so monotonous, so kind of mundane that then it's 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 not difficult to to go get one. Right. So. You know, we were talking about this before taping, sort of the difference between like a Shake Shack and a Starbucks, you know, Starbucks is in this great position because the product that they sell is just so, it, it, it's it's not just that it's an addictive product, but it's, it's something that people love to sort of gather around, right? People love to right. talk about coffee, whether it's on the coffee- On a daily basis. Yeah, on a daily basis and on, on massive, major scale, like everybody loves it. And for those of you who don't like coffee, you probably like tea. And, well, hey, Starbucks is getting in that, too. So yeah, we got you we're going to right, right for them. But I, I think with something like Shake Shack, you know, this is an interesting concept because it's still so small. They're licensing stores, which I think in this case probably, you know, will work to their advantage. They don't necessarily have to feel like they're carpet bombing the entire country at once. But I, I also think there's a really interesting opportunity here on the global scale. Like burgers and fries translate pretty well overseas. And so I think, uh, you know, you could probably have a Shake Shack in every major airport around the globe. You could probably have them in every major city around the globe. And I think that the licensing model works very well for some. And, uh, you know, we talked a lot about Five Guys and sort of, remember, it wasn't all that long ago, Jerry Murrell, the founder of Five Guys, was yeah. at, at Full HQ. And he was he was saying the one thing, if he could go back, he would buy back all of those licensed stores because they're just cash machines and uh so you sort of pay a price there for growing really quickly is you kind of lose a little bit of that control down the line of uh of the potential profits if, if you really hit the
0: jackpot like five guys did by the way if you're a five guys fan and you're uh, waiting for them to go public don't hold your breath no i don't think i, I don't <laughs> if anything was clear when jerry morrell came to our office is that they are not going public no and
1: i think that i think rightly so i think going public can be can be fine but I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure management here at Shake Shack has recognized it brings a, a world of headaches, a lot of criticism. You can put under a microscope really
0: quickly. So, one thing, speaking of Starbucks, that they have taken a page out of the, or they're attempting to take a page out of the uh, Starbucks playbook, and that is around mobile and using mobile ordering, which I think about half of their locations in the US are now enabled to do that. Um, uh, Rosa, uh, who's the manager here at uh, this uh, location, who was incredibly helpful, and also gave us the dessert gratis, which was incredibly nice of her. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I was talking to her about was just sort of h- how much they are doing in terms of mobile ordering business versus foot traffic. Um, and she talked about it in terms of other locations, whereas she was saying, you know, there are other locations here in New York City that are right near office buildings, uh, they are doing a ton of mobile orders from those office workers. Whereas this is more of a residential neighborhood, they you know they're doing some, but not nearly as much as the others. Um, the other thing on the on the train ride up, I was listening to uh, David Gardner's recent interview with Danny Meyer, who's the the founder of Shake Shack, and Danny Meyer is. Uh, and uh, totally worth listening to that. I mean, it, it's a great interview, and, and anyone interested in business, how business works and how business leaders should be approaching their businesses should should definitely listen to that. It was a, a couple of weeks ago on Rule Breaker Investing. Uh, Danny Meyer, one of the things he, he sort of made his bones on was hospitality as opposed to service and saying, you know, service is the technicality of getting your food to you in a timely manner, all that sort of thing. Hospitality is a little bit squishier. But it's, it's more sort of how how do we as a restaurant make you as a customer feel? And I think that while that's the kind of thing that doesn't necessarily show up in a line item on a balance sheet, I think that if, if Shake Shack ma- current management can bring that approach to their expansion plans, if they can find a way to do that, then I think that becomes one more net positive for them.
1: Yeah, there's no question. I think if you look at I mean, I, I think that's a very a very good way of looking at it, sort of the hospitality versus service. And service is, like you said, I mean, you, we read it in all of these conference calls, throughput, trying to get people in and out of the line and, and, and service them and give them what they want. But if you can add that extra dynamic of hospitality, of sort of associating your brand with a feeling that makes people want to come back for more, that makes people want to go out of their way to your restaurant, uh, and it, and it, it's not even limited to restaurants. I mean, I, I would say even even in our business at The Motley Fool, I mean, I, I think hospitality is something where you want to create a community. You want to create a place where people want to be. Starbucks has done a wonderful job of that through the years, creating that third place. Uh, it just It's creating a place where people want to be, and, and that isn't service at all, right? That's hospitality. And I think to your point about the mobile, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, any any of these businesses that are investing early in mobile are going to benefit from that. And, one, you know, one of the things I, lo- I love about restaurant. I mean, restaurants are a very difficult business to invest in, but when you can identify really good ones, they can be really rewarding because, I mean, we're talking about just extreme repeat purchases, right? Every day, people got to eat. And, and I mean, when you look at just the simplicity of their, their mobile card right here, the sort of encouraging people to, to download the app you one pick your shack two pick your time three pick your food four wait for the text five pick it up you know they simplify it and i mean that's yes. really what mobile has done so so much for all of us in our lives it's simplified and with a place like shake shack a fairly limited menu you probably kind of have something you like here all, already anyway so so it's going to probably encourage more people to buy here more often because it's so easy and they know they're getting something they like
0: I think that the, the, the effect of the mobile app is going to be one of the most interesting things to watch in Shake Shack's earnings over the next couple of quarters. I would say maybe the next two to four quarters to yeah. see what, uh, what that does for their throughput, what that does for uh, same store sales. And if we see that... Same Shack sales. Same Chris. Shack sales. You're right. Of course, they <laughs> yeah. branded it that way. Um, if, if that If that moves up and management uh, starts talking about how, what is driving that and it is in fact the mobile, then I think that really bodes well for not just you know the, the near term but certainly any expansion that they have
1: yeah, and it 's leveraging that physical infrastructure you already have in, in really uh, extending it, expanding it, so to speak, without having really needing to build so much out. It can be immensely profitable. Um, if you execute and and, and you you put it in the right places.
0: All right, a couple other things to get to. Uh, Under Armour has signed a 10-year deal with Major League Baseball. This is starting in 2020. Uh, Uniforms, year-round training apparel, pretty much anything you see on the field is going to be branded Under Armour, and this runs through 2030. That can't be good for the business, right? (laughs) That's a tremendous deal. And, and I, I, yeah, I was reading um, on, the, on the train right up. Um, one of the things I was reading was um, um, uh, something that was published on The Ringer recently, and it was a back and forth between Bill Simmons and Malcolm Gladwell about football, professional uh, football uh, in the States, and injuries, and sort of how that is. As Malcolm Gladwell says, that is the second conversation about football, The first conversation is, well, who won the game and, you know, who's playing next week and that sort of thing. The second conversation is about concussions. And he's absolutely right about that. And that was one of the things I thought of when I saw the news of this deal, where I thought, you know what, I, I don't know exactly how NFL football is going to be different in 2030. My hunch is it is going to be slightly different, at a minimum, slightly different, just because of the more we learn about health major league baseball in 2030 i'm pretty sure it's going to look almost exactly the way it looks today and i think that that had to have been not that under armor doesn't want to do deals with the nfl but that had to have gone through their mind that the, essentially the peace of mind that the game of baseball is not really going to change all that dramatically from the time that this deal starts four years from now to 10 years after that
1: yeah i think that's i think that's probably a fair statement i think um if you, if you look at the two sports today and try to sort of ascertain which one is more sustainable at this point, given what we know, I mean, there's no question football has to change in a fundamental way. I mean, there, there are plenty of folks who are going to play regardless and, and take the paycheck that, that they're making for it. Um, but certainly one of the concerns we're already hearing is that the quality of, of play is not what maybe it used to be. And, you know, you go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and think, well, if you really want to limit the injuries and concussions in football, well, just don't don't equip them as much, right? Don't put so much padding and helmeting on because then they just got to play more like uh, rugby players or Australian rules football. And, and to be sure, it seems like a lot of uh, coaches are trying to teach more and more tackling that way. But, but that's all to say that there is a major change that's going to have to happen in football in order for it to really be sustainable. Baseball, I think the biggest concern there is the time issue. They've gotta figure out ways to make the games not take quite so long. But generally speaking, it's still, it's a fun sport to watch. It's the same thing we've always known. And I think it's always going to uh, be a keystone for a lot of local economies through, you know, single, double, and triple A ball. Uh, There's a wonderful sort of developmental league already established there, which is really big. I think football's looking to try to get more of that. Uh, And so for Under Armour, when you look at this and you think about, This is their first major deal, the first major deal with with a professional league. I think it's I think it's the right league. I mean, I I think football is probably the more sexy pick today in the middle of football season. But but think about this: this is a deal that goes for ten years, kind of like how we invest, right? I mean, this is a stock that I've I've said it before on Twitter, and I'll say it here today. I mean, Under Armour is the kind of stock where I own the shares today. I intend to own these shares ten years from now. And hopefully 10 years beyond that i mean this is just a business that you want to be a part of i think it's going to have its ups and downs and that's perhaps when you consider adding the position but i think uh i mean golly there's just so many opportunities here and, and i think it's neat that they're sort of streamlining uh the marketing the distribution side of it to try to make the teams a little bit more profitable in the process certainly that's an attractive part and, and i mean under armor is already a very popular brand, a very well-known brand. They have a lot of baseball players already already sporting the brand. This is going to put that brand front and center in front of a lot of people, and that that is, from a longer-term perspective, a a huge opportunity for the company. So. You know, I, I think for the people that sit there and say baseball is boring and it's facing challenges, perhaps. But when you look at the numbers, the sport is still growing. It's bringing in more money every year. So there's something to this deal. I mean, these guys aren't dummies. Uh, so I, I think uh, the further you look out, the, the more I am encouraged by this.
0: Well, and they've got, you know, one one of if not the brightest stars in terms of young talent in Major League Baseball, in Bryce Harper. He's an Under Armour guy. Good hair he, too. He's he's probably gonna be he's probably gonna be playing through the end of this deal. I mean, if he stays healthy. Um, By the way, I I love the timing of this announcement because the the press release goes out and then they say that there's going to be an event this evening. Do you know where the event is? Where? National Harbor. Oh, really? It's right across the river from Full HQ. We got to get back. Yeah, because that's where the winter meetings are being held. So familiar. uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I think you know we we you know we take the train back and we just head straight to National Harbor. We're like, hey, we're here, and this is an interesting connected fitness opportunity, right? I mean, for all of this stuff. Oh yeah, stuff no, we that's hear, part of it too. It's not just on apparel. The device
1: side, I think it's really so the device stuff is where I, that's that's I think the least exciting part. I think the more exciting part is the companies that can take this data and do stuff with it. And so I look at Under Armour as being an ideal sort of forward-thinking company that is really. You know, making a lot of investments in this space. And I think that Major League Baseball is going to give them a lot of opportunities to learn from a, uh, a large swath of very good athletes. It, it should only help them develop better product lines in the coming years and coming decades, really.
0: Thank you to Sean James McKenzie for pointing out uh, our final story. And that is that the Central Bank of South Korea announced it is increasing steps to reduce the circulation of coins and part of that is encouraging uh, people to transfer their loose change onto uh, T money cards these are card travel cards so you can these are electronic travel passes you can use them for metro you can use them for taxis you can use them in tens of thousands of convenience stores um, here's what i consider to be pretty audacious the stated goal of the central bank of south korea is that the country is ca- a cashless society in three years. They want they want this done by 2020. That's aggressive. Are they going to get this done? Probably
1: I mean, not. But you got to be aggressive. Well,
0: right? so one of the things in the story is about how only about 20 percent of transact. It seems like they're already pretty far along the way. The only about 20 percent of the transactions uh, in the country are done with cash. Um, I don't know. I mean. It, I, I'm totally rooting for them to make this work, if only so that it gets us one step closer to getting rid of the penny.
1: I <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> think that just, was can we the stop biggest... with the penny? That was the thing that really, when when I read this article and I thought, you know, I, I'm all for a casual society. I think I think there are plenty of ways to get around that now. Um, but coinage in particular, I, I just... I'm just kind of over it. I feel like it's pretty... It, it, just pretty laborious from from every perspective. And it reminded me of when we lived in Egypt. We lived in Cairo for three years, which is mostly cash, right? Electronic payments are really just starting to take hold there, but they're mostly cash. But even more so, while I think there are some coins that, that float around, generally speaking, their coinage is just more paper money. And so it's like the Egyptian They're pound. coins are paper? Yeah. So the Egyptian <laughs> pound breaks down into piasters, and the piasters are just these little bills, and they'd be, like, worth less than a penny. And you would have just, like, loads a fistful loads of, them. of piasters. And, I mean, after a while, they just get filthy, <laughs> and they, they tear. And, I mean, imagine just from a maintenance perspective, how many times do you have to replace, you know, torn or damaged bills? It's just, it's just it's too much work involved.
0: South Korea loses $40 million a year producing coins. So, And and that's the same case with the penny. And I think also with a nickel as well, where it's like the cost of producing the coin is greater than the value of the coin itself, which just, just I mean, come on. If, if there was a public company that was doing that, where it was just like, oh yeah, we're Based on today's market prices, Chris,
1: that forty million dollars could more than likely buy them one brand-spanking new Shake Shack. <laughs> you know what I mean? No,
0: no. That's when it was trading at ninety. <laughs> yeah. Now, 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 two, forty, maybe forty two million dollars. Yeah, you know, that gets you a couple. Listen, of Shake let's Shack. be
1: clear. I mean, that's you throw a couple of these anywhere, you're probably going to uh, boost your GDP by a little bit. I think you are.
0: I think you are. Um, thank you again to uh, uh, Rosa Rodriguez, the manager here at Shake Shack, for accommodating us and let us take a booth when, again, if it was any other day, <laughs> there were, there would be customers standing right next to us saying, Are you done? Will you wrap up your stupid podcast so I can sit down and eat? So Yeah, maybe we could have done this in, like, April or May or something, but, yeah, we picked, like, Right, right as Christmas is <laughs> hitting full But talt. a Monday, so that worked out well. <laughs> yeah. uh, and thank you again to uh, Jason and John and Chris for uh, some of some of the dozens for coming out and joining us today. It was, it, it was so great to meet those guys. Um, as we wrap up, we're on the Upper East Side of New York City, um, not too far from Harlem. So um, as we wrap up with, uh, as we will for the duration of the month with the holiday music, a little... Christmas Night in Harlem from the one and only Louis Armstrong. Hey, Dan. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool yeah, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Coolery. The show is mixed with a high degree of difficulty since we're on the road by DJ Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.
1: In that good old neighborhood, yeah, and not am being understood. Christmas night in Harlem. Oh, everyone is gonna sit up until after three. Everyone, we be all lit up like a Christmas tree. Oh, come on now, every Jane and Joe. Read your sweet needle mistletoe. with a kiss, and a hidey-ho. Christmas night in Harlem.